Kimberly C. Paul. Today we talk with Carolyn Jones. She's an award-winning photographer and filmmaker who specializes in telling stories that shed light on issues of global concern. In her new film, her team investigates how we can make better end-of-life choices. How do we become the architect of our own destiny? Throughout two decades of working with the dying, I think I've discovered the secrets to dying well in America. We must learn to build the pathways to our last chapter, to create the blueprints that reflects our individual lives and values. Knowledge is power, and if we desire a death that reflects our life, we must become the designer. First of all, I just want to welcome you um, to the podcast. I am so excited about Defining Hope. I've seen the movie. You guys are doing your premiere in, just in Washington, D.C., where I saw Marion Grant from SeaTac there. Um, but congratulations. Thank you. It is. It has been such a privilege to work on this project. I have to tell you, having this kind of uh, intimate footage of families at such a sensitive time in their lives. It's been an extraordinary gift and privilege. Well, what's interesting about this is we we all come to these types of projects or stories with a personal story. And what I found really heartfelt um, was listening to your personal story. And I would love my listeners to know a little bit about your story. Sure. Um, I'm happy to share that. Um, a number of years ago, I had breast cancer and it was, uh, it was difficult as, as it is. And I got to, I kind of got through the surgeries fine and got through the radiation fine, but the chemotherapy really took me for a loop. And I had this incredible nurse named Joanne Staha who somehow made it okay. I still don't really know how she did it. She was funny. She was irreverent. She made me feel normal. Um, she made me feel like there was going to be life after chemo, that my hair was eventually going to grow back. And I was struck by how well she understood human nature. And, and I've always, I'm always struck by this in my life. I mean, I'm a photographer and a filmmaker and I interview people all the time and get into other people's worlds. But when I meet someone who has a kind of depth of understanding of humanity, I, I'm really intrigued. And Joanne knew somehow the right thing to say at the right time. And she got me through it. And so I was always really intrigued. And you know, I think that with so many illnesses, when when I was finished with my chemotherapy, I didn't look back. I didn't like pick up the phone and call Joanne and say, hey, let's go have a drink and kick around old times. Um, <laughs> you know, I, there wasn't, I didn't want that connection anymore. I didn't want to remember, you know. But then a few years after that, I was asked to do a project that would celebrate the work that nurses do. And I really jumped at that opportunity because I knew it was going to give me an opportunity to kind of dig in deep on the world of nurses and find out what makes them tick. And so that's what I did. And so I, I spent four years working on that project. And, and as I met, over a hundred nurses and interviewed them across the country dealing with all different kinds of issues in America, everything from poverty and returning war veterans to the prison system. One topic kept rising to the surface and that was that we're not dying very well. 
And that's, that's, that was the journey. You were doing a documentary on nurses. How did that evolve? How did you come to, you know, you went through your personal experience, but how did you come to wanting to do a story about nurses? Having had an extraordinary experience with a nurse that kind of got filed in the back of my head. And I'm a photographer and I've published a number of books and I'm really focused on kind of looking at members of society that we don't often see clearly that have something to offer that can change the way we think about things. And I think that uh, when there was a company, Fresenius Kabi, that came to me and asked me if I would be willing to do a project that celebrates the work that nurses do. And because I had had this extraordinary experience with a nurse, I thought it was an opportunity for me to from a journalistic perspective, travel across America for two years and interview nurses and photograph them and find out really how they become nurses and what makes them tick. So it, it, it started off as a photographic journey. Um, and I didn't expect it to really grab me personally the way it did, but it was an extraordinary world to dive into because all of a sudden I was surrounded by the most authentic, transparent group of people that are non-judgmental that I have ever encountered in my career. And so the, 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 what started off as a request from a company to do a project evolved into a book project and a traveling exhibition and then I dug in deeper to do a documentary film about five of the nurses that were in the book. Wow. So what kind of projects did you do prior to this whole sort of opening that we are not dying well? Were they anything related to end of life? Well, there was one. And it was it was years ago. In, in 1994, I published a book called Living Proof, Courage in the Face of AIDS. And it was a collection of 75 people who were living with HIV AIDS. And you have to know that in 1994, it was still pretty much a death sentence. There was no drug cocktail yet. Um, I had uh, been working in New York for, at that point, a number of years. And I had a lot of friends. We, 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 I worked in the fashion industry, so there were, you know, there were a, a lot of people in my world that were all of a sudden living with AIDS. And so I spent one year interviewing over 75 people that were living with AIDS, all different kinds of people, grandmothers, police officers, a priest, all different kinds of people. Um, and I got to sit in my studio with them. And, and the way I take a portrait is that I kind of want to dig into someone's world and find out as much as I can about them so that when I capture an image, it, it reflects them well. And the way that I, some, one of the ways that I do that, and for this project, I chose this path was to say, bring someone or something that you love to this photograph. And so I sat down at my table with all of these people who actually pretty much knew how they were going to die. They didn't know exactly when, but they knew that, they, that this was probably going to be how they die. And we talked about what makes life worth living. We talked about who they love, what they love. And it was 
probably until recently the richest year of my life and filled with laughter and cigarettes and funny conversations and really honest truth and, and, and a massive amount of love. And I just saw then that there's a, there was so much living being done in those last years of life. And it was so vibrant and it made life so colorful for me. And I never forgot that. So I think it gave me a language of how to talk to people who were at the end of life. And, and some of these people really were um, just, you know, kind of at the very end of their illness. And, and I, I learned so much and it was such a gift. So this, this is a natural way of thinking for me. I, I learned from that how beautiful life is and how much I wanted to cherish it. So this felt like a natural progression. Well, so many people really think those who are facing a serious illness or advanced care illness, and they have a limited time that they are fully aware of, that they're not living. And that, to me, is the biggest myth. The biggest thing that people think of is when you think of individuals with a serious illness or advanced care, um, advanced illness, you don't think they're living. Life is not the opposite of death. Birth is. Living happens until that last moment. And I learned that within hospice care. And, and that was the biggest lesson, I think, an awareness that I, I was not aware of prior to working with those who are facing a limited life. So you are working on this new project, um, Defining Hope, and you follow eight patients with life-threatening illnesses. And so do you feel end-of-life choices are like a global issue? You know, I do. Um, I think that technology is a global issue. So in some respects, the, I, I, they're very tied together with me, probably more so, and my knowledge is limited to what I've learned about end of life in this country, I have to say. But I think that the, the technological advances that we've made have made it so difficult for us to make good choices at the end of life. And I think that is a global issue. Why do you think that we are making not the right choices at end of life? Are we unaware? And, I, and I'm asking for your opinion because you have been around so many pace, people facing end of life. What's, what's wrong with that, that last few months? Or maybe that's what's the problem is we're not planning ahead. So talk to me a little bit about your experience with that. Well, I think... For me, we've lost sight of the fact that that there is, that life is a cycle. I, I'm not. I think we think we can buy our way out of this piece of business. And <laughs> uh, yes, you know, I think that because of these advancements and because of the media that surrounds us, you know, very often we'll go to a movie and we'll see someone drown and be brought to, back to life in a minute, and then pop up and go out to dinner. And our perception of what death is. Has, we're so far removed from it. I mean, I know that my my father's grandfather died at home, and they put him in the front parlor, and they understood that we're here for a limited amount of time, and that there's a cycle to it. And so death was part of life. They understood that we don't get to live forever. And I think partly because we are our elderly are kind of moved off to different parts of the country very often, and we don't 
that in our society here in the United States, we often don't keep people close to home, that we're, we're just out of touch with it. And so I think we've forgotten about it. And as we've forgotten about it, we were afraid of it. And so we think it's unnatural and we try to push it away as long and as far as we can, no matter, no matter how painful that is. And, and then we've got this kind of John Wayne attitude that you have to keep fighting until the bitter end, whether the patient is ready to call it a day or not. And I, so I think we really have to respect the patient's wishes. And, and that will be the first step in us going, getting closer to making better choices. This movie, Defining Hope, um, what do you hope the audiences walk away from knowing um, because there's so many things that I walked away from after watching this film. Um, but what is your hope? Well, I guess the first hope is that it helps ease the conversation. So it's, you know, I read all of these things about how to get your family to talk about end of life wishes and ideas about sitting around the Thanksgiving dinner table and getting people to talk about it. And I don't know how it is in your family, but my family definitely doesn't want to talk about this around the dinner table at Thanksgiving. And I have yet to get anybody motivated to do that, which is one of the things that I wanted the film to do was to jumpstart the conversation. And the beautiful thing is that as we've released the film in, in different parts of the country, people have come up to me and told me stories about their own personal experience about losing a loved one. And that's, exactly what I wanted it to do is just kind of break the ice and get people talking. That was the first thing. And then the second thing was to be able to look at someone that you were there with and think to yourself, do I know what they want? You know, do I know what my husband or my best friend or my child or whoever it is in my life that I'm here with? Do If, if something happened tomorrow, would I know what to do? And does this, and hopefully this film kind of sparks that kind of thinking. So you, you can look at it and think, wow, you know, I watched Bert Cohen in the film who wanted to die at home. That's what I want. You know, maybe it will spark conversation like that. That's my dream. I think your dream's going to come true because <laughs> I, I believe, you know, looking at different venues and how we bring a message, we're so visual these days. And especially with social media, we, you know, we only have a percentage of what we retain. But I will say, watching this movie, and I had the pleasure of watching it in my, my living room um, with, with a few friends, and it was just... Because I, I felt like it was something this big, you have to have someone to talk about it with. And I... My friends were so amazed that they were wondering, should I have advanced care planning? Should I have this conversation? I'm 30 years old. Yay. Or I'm 30. <laughs> and, and, and I think, I think that's the point yeah. is, is to, to, to get people to realize that there is a bookend at this thing called life. And that's what makes it precious and fragile. And, and we got to protect that. So as a storyteller and, a a filmmaker myself, which is not even even close to your level. But watching this, all I could think about was you and your team. How did this impact you guys? I, I think we would all agree that it was really transformative. Um, you know, I, I, I think to be able to have this degree of intimacy with families going through this time of life, 
it was just, it, it changed all of us. I, you know, my one thing I talked a lot about was, do we have to realize how precious life is just at the very end? It's kind of what you just said. If there's a 30 year old in the room that can think about what do I really want? Well, that's just, that's just so great because we, we don't have to be at the end of life to think about what makes life worth living. And, and it's going to change anyway, because what we think right now, it, it, it changes as, the kind of will to live kicks in even stronger as you get closer to the end of life. So maybe one minute you would say, you know, I don't want to be here if I can't play a game of tennis or play a game of golf. But then as the end of life gets closer, you realize that actually I want to be here even if I can watch the clouds move through the sky. And, and so what becomes beautiful and what makes life worth living, it evolves and changes. And our, my whole team, you know, I'm so lucky to get to work with the people that I work with and everyone was so insightful and we, we all totally fell in love with every person that we filmed because they were so generous with their emotions and their families. And, um, I think it changed how we all view our own lives, not just our end of life, but our lives right now. And, and that we want to have some purpose in the work that we do. And I think one of the biggest myths is that we're going to make it to old age. You know, unfortunately, fortunately, um, you know, I've had several people die before they ever saw 40 in my life. And, And that's where I try to awaken the story of, look, if you make it to old age to possibly think about this and you wait that long, that's fine. But the question is, are you going to make it to old age? Yeah. I mean, I've sure. seen, I mean, I lived in New York. I mean, I lived in Park Slope. I, I see how people drive and, and it gets worse when you get down south too. I mean, everybody is, is being, you know, car accidents, unexpected tragedies. And, and that's the thing is there's not an early planning early. There's planning logically because we're not guaranteed any day tomorrow just like those hospice patients they're not they're not guaranteed or those people facing a serious illness and and even though I'm not it doesn't mean I'm guaranteed the same the same day you know tomorrow um which is is which is makes me think of making every day really really important now this the the one character that I connected with was the nurse. You see the powerful bedside delivery, the humanness this nurse had, but then you see her daily life and her, you know, balancing those glass balls called family and children. And then she has her own serious diagnosis. Um, Talk to me a little bit about her. Oh my gosh. Okay. Diane Ryan is my hero. First of all, I, in preparation for a film like this, I interview a lot of people and talk to them about the topic and I film all that so that I can kind of look at that footage and think who might be right for, to follow in a film. And when I interviewed Diane, that first go around at Calvary Hospital, which is a really special place here in New York, she's funny and she's a great storyteller and I just, I just knew there was something special about her, but I only met her as a nurse. She was, um, 
you know, she was going to be the nurse that was going to carry me on her wings into the rooms to meet the people that she was working with at end of life. And that was going to be the role that she played. And when we started the film, I, she had told us that she had had cancer and, but it was finished. She was finished with it. And, and the last thing any of us expected was in the middle of this film for her cancer to come back. And it was devastating. But the thing that was so fantastic, and this is, this is the thing about nurses that just blows my mind. I mean, I, you know, I've been there and I kind of crawled into a hole. But Diane said, let's show everybody what this looks like. Stay with me. And she let me stay with her, with the camera and my crew and a sound person and a cameraman, you know, in the room with her while she's getting chemo. And I mean, it was an extraordinary thing to witness. And I just thought, you know, this is a quality that nurses have very often, this ability to take their own personal experience and use it to become better at what they do. And, and she actually talks about that. She went back to work at Calvary hospital, helping people at the end of life who have the same cancer that she has after she was, while she was still on chemo. I mean, who does that? I, I never saw anything like it in my life. She's got neuropathy and she's nauseous and she's still going into work. And you know why? Because she said she could better understand what they were all going through and she knew she had something to offer. And, you know, she's not a saint, but I sure would like to bronze her because <laughs> I, I haven't met too many people like this in my life. I mean, she, she really is an inspiration on top of that. She's an athlete. And as you can see in the film, Defining Hope, there's a point where she asks the doctors to hold off on her chemotherapy for a week so that she can do a five borough bike tour around New York City, 40 miles long. I mean, I couldn't do it if my life depended on it. And here she is fighting cancer, you know, just turning down chemo for a week to do this bike tour. So she's an extraordinary human being. And we're, you know, I feel like she's part of my life now. And, and, and I, I feel enormous affection for her and her family. Well, is she doing well? Uh, no, she's, Ugh. she's doing okay. She's, it's, it, it's still a battle. And, you know, the very things that I talked to her about this, you know, I, at one point she said, you know, if it comes back, I'm not going to go through mm -hmm. that chemo again. Well, it came back and she said she took one look at her two boys and said, well, here I am again. And yes, I am going to do it. So, you know, she's, she's battling it. And I, I know she's hoping that she's going to beat it. And she's still talking about the next half marathon that she wants to run. And her spirit is, you know, it's, it's amazing. So I, I don't know, you know, when you say, how's she doing? She's doing great. She's a remarkable human being, but her health really stinks. Oh, that's a great way to put it. Great way to put it. What also I love about this film, it's, it is based on research and you want to provide additional education education to community members, but also for those working within the healthcare system. That's one thing that we've not seen in medical schools. We're doing some, we're making some progress, but we're not 
fully embracing um, how to have these conversations, even in medical schools. The community has a hard conversation around a family table, you know, not even to think about what a physician and a patient conversation would be. And that's why I really love that you offer free contact hours for nurses. Um, you like 1.25 like is that an hour and yeah i mean it, it's what the, it's what this experience offers it's it's a continuing education credit and we don't offer it it's walden university that's that's offering it and and you know you have to answer some questions and you have to prove that you've watched it and so forth so there's a little procedure to go through but it was important really important to us to set this up this way because I feel like we got this unique window into the lives of people that could, you know, offer to nurses and doctors alike and anybody that's in the healthcare world, you know, kind of what these kind of a bird's eye view of what these what happens during this time and what these relationships look like. So it's I, you know. I'm a big believer in documentary film educating us on mm. every level. So I, I just think it's a, I, I believe in storytelling. I think it's just a wonderful way for us to learn. And we don't really have elders in our lives very much. So I think this is our, this is our way of teaching one another. So I just wanted to share what we'd learn and encourage nurses to be able to get credit for watching it, because I think there is a lot to learn from it. I absolutely agree. And I think that you're going to see a lot of positive um, interaction with your film due to this because, you know, clinicians, they have so many contact hours they need. So this is a, a doorway for them to start to step through. And they're so used to doing all the forms and everything else to get the credit. But I'm really glad to see that. Okay. Um, how can yeah, absolutely. How can individuals schedule a screening of this film in their local community? So there are a few things going on right now that we're really excited about. But for right now, for the next couple of months, we are participating with a company called Gather. And if you go to our website, that's the easiest way to do this. And it's www.hope.film. So it's easy to remember. And if you go to screenings, you'll see right there that you can you can organize a screening in your community. And we do community screenings. Um, where you get, you know, you can have a copy of the DVD and you show it to people in your community uh, in, you know, kind of alternate places like community centers or universities or hospitals. And then we also have the theatrical opportunity with this company Gather so that if you get a certain number of people together that want to see the film in a theater, that you can make that happen. And the reason, wow. yeah, it's a, it's, That's a, great. it's a wonderful system. And the reason I love it is because this film is a completely different experience. If you watch it alone on your laptop, or if you watch it in a community setting in a theater and it's a very, very intimate film, but it's also, there are moments of levity there. There are parts in it that are funny. If you're all together there's something that happens in that crowd that is a, a great comfort. I, I love the theatrical version of this film and, and that kind of community setting of people all sitting in the dark, all having a similar experience. And then when the lights go on, man, the conversation really flies. So I, I really encourage people to, um, all you have to do is you hit request a screening and then exactly how you do it will come up and you just need somebody to spearhead gathering 
Sometimes it's just as many as 20 people that want to see it and will agree to go to the theater. And then you've got it. You've got the, you've got the film in a theater setting for a night. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. And I encourage everyone out there, you have to see this film. Uh, if anything, I love that health professionals get credit for it. But it's just that personal experience that I learned even after 17 years in hospice, I still can't walked away learning some things that I have not implemented in, in my life that I want to. So it's really important that um, if you're interested in getting this film to either your hospice or your hospital or your community to to visit um, that website. Can you give me that website one more time? Sure. It's www.hope.film. So to wrap things up, um, I was just wondering, how has this project changed how you hope to face your own end of life? <laughs> well, so I'm... I love the giggle before, well, too. Well, <laughs> I know, because this is, this is revealing. So when I started, I have to confess, when I started this project, I thought, you know, we have to we have to take responsibility over our own death and we there has to be some kind of manual about how to navigate the technology that's out there so that we make good decisions and we don't tax the system and we know when our card is up and it's time to go and so i thought i would i would be able to map out for myself a plan of what i would be willing to do and what i wouldn't be willing to do and the thing that i discovered is that no matter there there isn't any universal answer this is the most individual thing i've ever seen or encountered how we die and how we get there is just completely unique to each one of us and so for me i know that it's a it's an ever changing landscape that what i say right now I might change. And that's hard for me to accept because I'm a very black and white kind of person. And I was really looking for the manual. Like, I don't want this and I don't <laughs> want that. Um, like check boxes. Yeah, exactly. Like it, no, uh, under no circumstances do I ever want to be intubated or having feeding tube or anything. Um, and, and I still feel a lot of that. But I think that what's happened for me is that I'm more verbal about it. And that I think the end of life, what's really changed more than anything is instead of it being like a piece of paper, like a pulsed form, you know, that's, that's in black and white words, I'm making sure that everybody around me, my husband, my sister, my brother, my daughter, know how I feel. Not that I walk around talking about, you know, whether I want a feeding tube or not, but, but that they, <laughs> you know, that they know what my sensibility is, what I would be willing to do and what I wouldn't be willing to do. And that we keep it as an open dialogue, um, you know, so that, so, that, so that they have some idea. I think that's, it's not much of an answer. And boy, I was looking for the right answers when I started this project. And I just think we have to respect the process. Um, exactly. And that's, so that's where I've landed. <laughs> and, you know, just like your nurse that you um, were filming, she changed her mind. Yeah. And that is the most beautiful thing that people don't realize, even if you do sign, you know, a, a, a most or post form or a healthcare power of attorney, all that stuff can change, right. you know, and I, I, I refer it back to, you know, a birthing plan. You, you, I want a natural birth, but if you will yourself in there in great pain, yelling epidural, <laughs> that can change. But, it, but it's the thoughtful process that you take, that you've taken to 
open up and discuss it. And you mentioned something very important in the, in which is the key to all planning for end of life. And that's communication Yeah, to make sure that people hear how you want it to be. Because when it comes to that moment, your voice will ring true in their minds and in their ears. And that's really important. I just, I just want to thank you for your, you and your team diving into such a sensitive and controversial subject and doing it with such grace and such heart and such passion. Um, I wish you well with your premieres. Um, I wish, I wish everyone out there would take the time to watch this film, gather in their communities, and begin the conversation about how we can look at end of life on a big scale, but really on an, an individual. Uh, scale as well. So I just thank you, A, for your time and then for this gorgeous, gorgeous film. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for such a thoughtful conversation. What a treat to get to talk to you. Well, I wish you well. I look forward to other projects that you are doing. And just to end, you do have a TED Talk out there that um, is concerning your whole look at nurses, which I think is fabulous. Um, and people should actually check that out as well. Oh, thank you. That was, yeah, that was a, a, a terrific to have that opportunity to get to talk about nurses in a TED Talk. I, I'm really grateful for that. Well, I appreciate your time and thank you so much for taking your time out of your day to talk about Defining Hope and this film process and what it took you and your team and really the main characters um, that are real um, people living um their lives through a serious illness and sharing that with us and the world. Oh, Kimberly, thank you so much. This has been a great joy to talk to you. I really, really appreciate having the opportunity. Me too. And I hope you have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, you're the designer.